Well, we've finally made it to the end, the last of our gospel-centered series. And uh, we're going to be looking at the gospel-centered life, sort of rolling all that we've talked about and all we've discussed over the many, many weeks that we've had before um, with the gospel-centered uh, series into what's the gospel-centered life. But before we go any further, we definitely need to pause and pray. So let's pray together um, as we gather together this way to see what God's Word has to reveal to us. God, we, we pray Your will. We pray Your will will be done in our life. And we pray that as we look into the Scriptures, it will open up and lay before us our schedule, our desires, our wants, and our needs. We, we want to be able to live this out and we want to know how to live it out in a way that's going to glorify you in our specific, unique circumstance that you've placed us in. We thank you, Lord, for this great series we've been in of the gospel-centered life just to see how to keep Jesus at the center, the message of salvation, the message of forgiveness uh, at the center of our lives. We also just pray for our homes. We pray for our city, our community, our state, nation, and the world. Pray that you'll bring an end um, to this disease it's just kind of sweeping all globally over it and help us to begin to relax wisely the restrictions that are before us so that we might uh, more intently and intensely um, show out your faith and live for you so lord do it in a way that just gives you credit and glory and help us to communicate that as well wherever we find ourselves um, to draw closer to you not further away during this time in jesus name we pray amen so always when you get to the end of something, you want to summarize uh, sort of where we've came through. And I just, uh, I just want to remind us of some of the highlights through the Gospel-Centered Life series that we went through. Remember, when it comes to the Gospel, here's how we define it. The Gospel we define, it, we use 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Uh, those scriptures tell us that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, my sins, our sins, and rose again after he was buried, rose again according to scriptures. And all of that taking place so that salvation would be possible and be able to be received from others, right? We are saved by grace through faith. That's what the gospel is. That's the good news. That's, hey, your words, your thoughts, your deeds, all of those things, your relationships against God can be made right and put on the right track through the good news of the gospel message, which means Jesus died for your sins. He was the perfect atonement, the perfect substitution, which means you can find absolute forgiveness, absolute forgiveness, and begin to live out the gospel as God has created you and purposed you to do. Now, one of the ways we communicate that here is that we say we exist to bring God glory and make disciples through gospel-centered worship and gospel-centered community and gospel-centered service and gospel-centered multiplication. That's how we're seeking to try to move on in those things and live out the gospel-centered life. So we've looked at major components, each of those sort of individually in their own message, and then unpacked other purposes like gospel-centered generosity and living open-handed with our time, talents, and treasures, loving God with all that we are and loving our neighbors as ourselves, these are just some of the big highlights of what it is to do that. And ultimately, the whole goal is to become more like Jesus so we'll respond like Jesus. To learn from the Scriptures and understand what it has to say, where we work, where we worship, where we live, where we play, that we might embody 
the good news of the gospel message and that people can not only hear us, but read our actions and know that we're gospel-believing, Bible-believing, Jesus-acting people. We think the way Jesus acts more and more. We talk the way that Jesus talks more and more. We act the way that Jesus acts more and more. All of that pushing to the gospel-centered life. We're going to see that embodied here as we look in uh, John 21 in a little bit. So if you want to kind of flip through and find John 21, we'll get there eventually. But that's where we're going to kind of land in our scriptures as we wrap up this gospel-centered series. Now, look, I know, and you know this to be true too, I know that there are better ways to enjoy certain things in life, right? Like just just guidelines that, that make things better, like I enjoy the ocean where we live so much more because I know how to swim. People who don't know how to swim enjoy the ocean a whole lot less. And there are so many things like their life. We enjoy well-seasoned food. Over-seasoned food, trash, garbage it, get rid of it. In all areas of our life, we look to people, look to examples to say, look, there's just simply a better way. Even around here, uh, here at the church at Chapel Bay, we say it this way, that um, serving the Lord and living for Jesus in your life isn't always easy, but it is always better. So we take the guidelines of the scriptures, the inerrant word of God, and we take that and we apply it to our life because more enjoyment comes that way. There's a reason there's recipes that you can kind of tweak a little, but when you follow those, you get that product that comes out that's so much better. We've got ways to have better relationships, do better at work. I mean, all of this is in there. So we know what it is to live with with guidelines in our life to say, hey, if you want to enjoy this roller coaster, put your hands up when you go over that first hill and keep them up as long as you can, right? I mean, we just, we do that. We just know there are, quite frankly, better ways to do it. And sometimes it's hard. You're screaming your guts out down that hill, having the best time of your life. Or maybe just praying you're going to see Jesus super quick. And you're like, well, here it comes. Infinite glory and joy. So in all of this, we see there are better ways to approach life. And living the gospel-centered life is one such thing. It is much better and i say this with full confidence of scripture it is much better to live your life entirely entirely in the gospel-centered focus which means what you do and think and see is focused on not only embodying what the gospel is that you're saved and that you're a christian but also living that out in such a way that people can get to jesus a little bit more uh, easy in that and and here's why i was praying over it and, and wrestling over it as i was preparing this message like god why is this so important to you why is living the gospel-centered life so important for us why does the entire bible hinge from um, genesis to revelations hinge on those stories of the gospel of jesus's fulfillment of salvation his death and his resurrection his life before and his life after his resurrection why so much so And as I was praying, God just kind of impressed on me this discernment, kind of this phrasing, a life distracted from God can easily be disintegrated. A life that is distracted from God can easily be disintegrated. So we really have to work hard. We have to war on our calendar and war on our schedule and and war on our desires and our wants and our needs and what our self sort of leans into to try to get and just say look here's the deal 
if I get distracted from God, I can be chipped away a lot more easy. It, it could be thoughts, it could be little actions, and they just kind of grow. But then God also just, just kind of helped me to understand through these passages of scriptures we're looking at that a life that is focused on God, when your life is focused on God, you can better be repassioned for a purpose. And the gospel-centered life keeps you grounded and centered in what God's doing. So when the world's going out of control, when it's tumultuous and it's peace, you're losing your job, you can't get back to work, things are lessening because we're quarantining and distancing and, and, and trying to be smart and we're washing our hands at a frenetic pace and just always trying to make good, wise decisions. We're standing in line. Only certain of us can go in the grocery store. God's like, look, if you focus on me, that I can repassion and repurpose your whole life for you. And the scriptures is going to bear that forth. And out of the scriptures, you are going to see this one thing that I just, it leapt off the page and just grabbed my attention. You know, I just grabbed you on the cheeks. It's like, listen to this. And uh, the one thing goes this way. The one thing reads um, and says, uh, and this is what I would say to you. If you're like, how do I do the gospel center life? Throw yourself into following Jesus. Throw yourself into following Jesus. Now let me address, uh, really as, as God sees it, there are only two groups of people on the planet, the saved and unsaved, the Christian, the non-Christian, the born again, the not born again, the brothers and sisters and children of God, the not brothers and sisters and children of God. And the only thing that separates those two is salvation. So if you're watching this, listening to this, and you're not sure of your salvation or you've never been saved, that is number one to living the gospel-centered life. You have to be centered and start putting roots down into the gospel. You have to throw yourself at the mercy which God is so freely giving in grace through faith and say, Lord, I believe. Forgive me for my sins. Be Lord and leader of my life you you already do that in so many other areas i mean i've just got a list of them right here you throw yourself into your work just get super tunnel vision i'm that kind of way like i can get locked into a project or locked into a thing and, and literally the world just fades away and i'm just like approach tackle go accomplish get and i can i can just tunnel vision it so i understand that about work or, or other things that you do you know uh, maybe it's, it's sports or maybe it's family or your kids social calendar maybe it's where you living sort of for yourself like these are the goals i want to accomplish before i'm 30 these are the goals i want to accomplish before i'm 50 these this is my bucket list i want to do this before i die and all of a sudden that rises to the surface pushes god down pushes the gospel-centered life down to where you're then living for that more than anything else. And those things are difficult. And they're not necessarily bad or wrong unless or until they become more important where God is. And if you're not a Christian, if you're not a child of God, if you're not a brother and sister in Christ, if you've not confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and not believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then, then you, you are not saved. You're not a Christian, and that's what you need. Before you live the gospel-centered life, before you can experience all the joy that God's created and all the fullness of life He has for you in the hard, difficult, tough times when you need strength in life, salvation comes first. To be completely forgiven for all your wrongdoings, all your wrong thinkings, and all your wrong sayings. And God's like, look, you don't have to do anything, person who's watching and listening. You don't have to be good enough and you're certainly not bad enough for God to save you. 
just simply receive the free gift of grace and say, God, thank you for saving me. Lead and be Lord of my life. And I would encourage you and encourage you and really challenge you to do that. Your life will never be right. You'll never find fulfillment where you work, worship, live, and play outside of God. It'll never happen. So many people have tried. You've probably already tried in your life. If the Christians who are watching this could echo back and comment back to you, they'd say yes and amen. That's right. When you live for yourself or for other things or other persons or other places, then you will not find full fulfillment until God's centered in the middle of it, till the gospel is the center, till you're striving to live as Jesus lived so that others might be saved. So I would just encourage you and challenge you in that. But for Christians, I would say it this way. Right? Brothers and sisters listening to me, family of God, here we go. You know, when you're looking at throwing yourself into following Jesus, that, that's a word the Bible calls to being sanctified or sanctification, which is all that God does in you and through you to create you into the image of Jesus Christ. I, you could say it, it's the wholeness of holiness. The wholeness of holiness. That that God desires for us to, to just more and more line up our lives and just put it under his um, submission and obedience and say, God, what do you want for my kids? What do you want for my spouse? What do you want for my work? How am I supposed to handle what's going on in the world? What do you want? And just following his leadership and just reminding the Christians about that, that God desires for you to strive after holiness. Last week, we talked about gospel-centered salvation. And now we're kind of looking at what happens after you're saved and living the gospel-centered life. And what happens when you mess up and make mistakes and fall down and make the wrong choices? How does all of that play together? So I want to set some context up for John chapter 21. Hopefully you're already there. You found it in your Bible chat before you, however you've got it, your Bible in your hands or on your electronic device, whatever that is. But when we start talking about John 21, in the verses 1 through 6, let me just give you some context of, of what's happening here. So Peter and the disciples, after they'd experienced the resurrection of Jesus, had begun to drift back to their old way of living. And, and you know what? Maybe you can even relate to that even a little bit more. Falling back into old habits, I would say. Uh, the, everybody's kind of looking at Peter. They know Jesus resurrected. They're like, what are we going to do? And Peter's like, you know what? I'm just going back to the family business. I'm going to go fish. I'm going to go fish. And they're like, well, can we come? And, and they come too. So he sort of drifts back to the old way. The Bible tells us that he's fishing all night long, throwing their nets out, throwing their nets out, throwing their nets out, catch nothing. Then this guy appears on the shore and says, hey, cast to the other side. So they, they, they're like, oh, okay. So they cast to the other side. And they get like 153 fish, the Bible says, in the net that this didn't break. And then Jesus reveals himself. And this is the third time that Jesus reveals himself to his disciples. And I would encourage you deeply to make sure that you're studying your Bible every day and spending time in, in private prayer. Yes, get your spouse together and pray with them. Yes, get your, even your roommates together, um, your, your family together, however that interacts. Or if it's just you and, and the Trinity, that's four. You guys get together and pray. But as they were doing this, Jesus reveals himself. And as he reveals himself, this is where we're going to pick up in verse 7. John chapter 21, verse 7. And we're going to read this story. Now remember, we're... We're trying to get focused on the gospel-centered life. So we're catching Peter drifting away from living the gospel-centered life. And he's already experienced the risen Savior Jesus, but he's still drifting. 
He's still going. And the other disciples are kind of following him. And isn't that really how it works? Like, as you lead those closest to you follow, if you're in a working environment, you know that. If you're a boss who manages other people or oversees companies or, or you have a little crew that works for you to accomplish a goal, you know what it is that, that people follow the leader. They go after the direction that you set. So they all kind of looking at Peter and uh, they just sort of follow him to the boat and he just kind of drifted off. So here's, here's where we pick up verse seven. Let's look at this together. Uh, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, by the way, the one who had authored this gospel. Um, that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said, it is the Lord, right? So they don't know who he is. And he's like, Cassinet, they do it. John, the beloved, the only disciple at the crucifixion looks and goes, it is a Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, watch this. He put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. And I, I love this because here's what I think of. Like uh, when, when I was growing up, pretty much my whole life, we would spend massive amounts of time in the summer at Lake Cumberland in Kentucky. And I can remember myself and uh, my little brother, Seth, and my cousin, Ellie, we would all put our life jackets on and we would practice doing different kind of dives off the back of the boat into the lake right? So you try the, the, the super dives that you'd see in the Olympics, like the jackknife, and you boom, and you'd hit it, and be like, that was awesome, how was that? And people were cheering, families cheering on the boat. You know, you kind of do the, what we call the, the head first sailor dive, where you just kind of put your arms in, and you're just like, whoop, you just kind of flop in. And we were just jackknives, belly flops, it's always got the biggest laughs, because they just hurt, and your whole body's red. And when I think about this, it just recaptures those moments from my life. And I think about just how intensely focused I was to win that diving experience. And now I'm looking at Peter, who's got a huge... Him and Jesus still haven't settled the whole denial thing. They've still not wrestled with and put to rest forever Peter denying Jesus three times as Jesus was being arrested and tried. Right there, and the Bible tells us they could see each other, and he does it, and Jesus watches him do it. Like, they've not settled that. So John's like, it's the Lord. Peter just throws himself in. And that's where the one thing comes from. Throw yourself into following Jesus. Just no matter what, if you're just, you're down and you're in the dumps, you're just exuberant and you're just laughing and cheering like a kid off the high dive into the deep end, wherever you find yourself, Peter just like, look, I'm throwing myself into the sea. Now look at verse eight. It, it gives us a little bit more. This is how intense, right? Because a life that is um, disconnected and distracted from God can easily be disintegrated. And that's the sense you get from these scriptures is as Peter's like, well, I don't know. He's not witnessing. He's not sharing. He's just, let's go fish, right? But you start focusing yourself. You can be repassioned. Verse eight. So the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. I love that. I love that Peter just left him. He's just like, Jesus, Boom, just jumps in and starts swimming. And then he leaves these guys to haul this unit to fish in. Um, for they were not far from land. Now, I think this is far, but it says they were not far from the land, about 100 yards off. To me, that's far. Like if I'm out in the ocean playing with the kids and all of a sudden I'm drifting 100 yards out, I'm concerned. And then, I don't know, maybe this is another. We talked last week, you know, we've got Peter running to the tomb. Now we see he's a good swimmer. He swims a football field to get to Jesus and he does it faster than the guys can on a boat with a sail and fish in tow. This guy's passionate about something. This guy's heart is broken and wrecked about something. 
Because who does that? Who just throws themselves at Jesus so uh, uh, just uh, unabandonedly and just says, I'm going and starts swimming. And says, I don't care what's behind me. I'm moving forward. Peter does that. You should do that. Throw yourself into following Jesus where you work, where you worship, and where you live and play. And you do whatever you want. Do the no head dive. Do the perfect Olympic dive. Do the belly flop. It doesn't matter. Just throw yourself into following Jesus. And I want to I pull out a little bit from this story about what's happening here and how some of the other people are, are in the boat interacting and, and just kind of interpreting what's going on with Peter here. First of all, Peter was, was doing a job that he had uh, really before he met Jesus. He was an accomplished fisherman. We know he was married. You know, so th- he was good at this. He was good at this. And he was right in the midst of the good that he was doing. He was doing the good work that he was able to do. And as he unpacked this good work and as he was doing this, in the middle of that, he throws himself to be fulfilled by Jesus. There is a longing and a desire for Peter to make things right. So I would love for you to just, even as I'm talking now, take a moment and go, what would it look like for me to throw myself at Jesus at work? And I'm not saying just sit in your cubicle and just fall on the ground. Not literally interpreting it. But what if you just lived more outwardly for Jesus in ways that model what Jesus would do? If Jesus was your cubicle mate, how would he handle work and do that? And that's what I love here. He's fishing, abandons the fish. And by the way, that's a massive haul. There's so much money in there they could have made off that. There's so much they could have done with that. He just leaves that behind to pursue after Jesus. And it's a model for the others. As he throws himself at work into Jesus, they see that. Which brings me to kind of my next thing I sort of pull out there. All those are disciples there. All those people are watching. And Peter's among his friends. And he throws himself toward Jesus as an example to others. And I think that's powerful. I think when we're with our friends, our loved ones, those people that we care about and that care about us, I think when we throw ourselves to Jesus, it sets an example for other people. I I know that it does. One, it models for them how they can do it too. Some people just don't do things because they don't know how. They need you to show them. How can I be a Christian and be a friend? Right? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. It's not just a receiving thing. It's a giving thing. So you look at Peter and he's just like, man, that's it. Put the coat on, jump in, swims a hundred yards. And God just like, would you speak up in your meeting? When you're online, can you just say something that gives God glory and honor or model that? When you're talking about politics or religion or corporate policy or this or that, will you bring in biblical truth and approach and handle things that way? Because that's the gospel-centered life. Not Sunday mornings and Saturday nights and all your multi-services, but it's when you're out there living. It's, it's gospel-centered all the time, right? The wholeness of of holiness when you're completely and totally living for God all the time. Almost so much so, it's just who you are. You don't have to think about it. But if you've got to think about it, that's okay. That's, that's the growth process. The next thing he does, here's what I love. I love that Peter was drifting away from Jesus and he didn't try to get all of his stuff to come with him. He just threw himself to be reconciled with Jesus. We know that There's a huge elephant in the room with Peter and Jesus, the whole denial thing. And as he's drifting away, he just says, 
just says, no way, I'm not going to let this abundant, bountiful things keep me from getting to Jesus as fast as I can. And we know later in chapter 21 that Jesus actually uses that fish. So it's not that, that all that goodness had to go away, which some people might say is like, you either have Jesus or good things. No. They actually feast off of those 153 fish later on. So he's just like priorities. This is my biggest priority. I just want to get to Jesus. I mean, I, I wish there was more of like the immediate interaction, like when he comes out of the water and he's just like just exhausted out, just wrung out from swimming 100 yards as hard as he could. And he's breathing and he's just, huh, and he's over and he's looking and he's just staring Jesus in the eyes. And I would just love to know what's the expression on his face and his body language and Jesus as he's just standing there like, I just, I did that because I want to be where you are. I, want, I just want to be around you. I want to have you in my presence. I want notes in my car that have scripture on it. I want Christian music. I want the Bible. I want th the memory of you rooted in my heart to be a good and wholesome one. To not only remember my salvation, but to remember that I'm not going to have to stay in this awkward relationship with you anymore, God. Which is where the non-Christians are. Which is where you aren't saved are. In this relationship of, of awkwardness. And God has never wanted that for you. Right? He sends Jesus not to condemn the world. But so that the whole world might be saved. God's not against you. He's trying to get you into the family. You're against yourself. By not accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. So we see here this drifting. And he just comes back. And I love that. He, at work. Where he worships. Where he lives. Where he plays with his friends. He is just diving in incredibly with who God is, and what he's doing. Now, I want to summarize a section of scriptures here, and I would encourage you to look at them and read them on your own. We're not going to throw those up on the screen because I, wa I, just, I want to get through them, but here, here's what happens. In verses 9 through essentially 17, um, when Peter gets to shore, there's a nice campfire, you know, and then there's fish and there's bread on it. So then Jesus says, Peter, go get some fish. And, and, and Peter, in his exuberance, the Bible says he gets the whole net of 153 fish. Like, I just see this dude, like, running over and just manhandling. And it's all as he can by himself. And the disciples just looking like, that's crazy. And he pulls this whole bag over and he's like, here. And Peter's exuberance is part of him wanting to make a wrong thing right. To get some justice in his life. Which is what we do, right? When we do wrong things to people that we love, we, we want to overcompensate with action sometimes. And just go, well, let these actions make it right. And we work hard and hope that that's going to cover up the, the guilt and the shame we may feel. And that is part of it. But what I love about Jesus, he's got a much better plan for Peter here. And his plan is, let's just eat breakfast together. And let's talk about the elephant in the room. So as they're having this breakfast and as they're discussing and as they're talking, you start seeing in John 15, 16, and 17, um, Jesus' interaction with Peter. And let me just summarize this for you and just highlight this for you. But it really is worth going back and, and just kind of pulling apart on your own. Um, basically, verses 15, 16, and 17. Jesus is sitting there after they'd finished breakfast. And he's like, Peter, do you love me more than these? Right? Do you love me more than these guys? If you're watching this or listening to this around other people that are there, it doesn't matter what environment are you, what's the answer to your question if Jesus asked you that? Because he is through Scripture. Do you love me more than these coworkers? Do you love me more than these family members that are living here? Do you love me more than the other Christians you're surrounded by? And let me just give you a little secret. People that love Jesus are hoping you say yes to that. 
like Peter did. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, he said. Then Jesus says, feed my lambs. Then he asks him a second time, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he says, tend my sheep. And then a third time, Jesus comes back and goes, do you love me? And I just, can you just sit with those questions for a moment? Just you and Jesus. Do you love Jesus more than all of these persons, places, or things? Do you love Jesus enough to do what he's telling and asking of you to do? To fulfill your created purpose and why you're here and why you exist. To bring God glory and to make disciples. Do you truly love Jesus more than anything? If you do, you are well on your way to living the gospel-centered life. If you don't, these passages help us to see you can be well on your way to doing it more and more. Because that's the joyous journey of our life. That each day, each week, each year, we get to see the deeper depths of God's love and how to live all of that out. So with the third time, I love this about Peter because Peter's still Peter, right? Even though he's, he knows the Lord and he's lived with the Lord and he, he just, he's so extreme sometimes in his emotions and how he goes and what he does. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And then the scripture says Peter was grieved. Like the dude's getting upset. Like I can't, you've asked me once, you've asked me twice. Now you ask me a third time. He said, why do you ask me a third time? Do you love me? And he said to them, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So out of this scripture, I just want to pull to you and give to you some ways that we can can kind of understand how to better live a gospel-centered life. And creatively speaking, God's going to do that for you more uniquely than he does for me. And he's going to do it for the next person that listens and watches this than for you. But out of this, here's some of the truths we see. First, we see the obvious relation that, that Jesus is replacing Peter's denials with assurance that he is saved and that he can then live the purpose God has for him. He's giving him the assurance of his faith by replacing the dial. So he denies Jesus three times. Now he acknowledges Jesus publicly three times that he loves him, even though he gets a little peeved at the end, a little grieved, still does it and gives that to him and then gives him a commission. Now, where does the assurance come from? Does the assurance come from the recipe of just saying, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep? No, the confession of faith and the public action is where the assurance comes from. So if I said to you, just simply say the words, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, then for you to think that that's going to give you assurance, it doesn't work that way. The assurance comes from the confession of faith to say, Lord, I do love you. I do believe in you. And then I'm going to have a public response to that. And that's what Jesus is doing for Peter. He's giving him his purpose. And each of you have a created purpose. Each of you have a reason for existing now that is unique to you and is also corporately involved with what the Bible says that it is. I particularly love this passage of Scripture. Maybe I'll share a little bit more of that later. But let me pull out what this feed my lambs mean in more of a general sense of what he was actually saying to Peter there so that then you with the Holy Spirit can begin to work that out. When he's telling Peter in the first, do you love me, feed my lambs, he's saying keep exampling Christ's likeness to the young Christians and to those who have no faith in Jesus. Basically, make your faith and deeds line up. This denial business, we're done with. It's time to start to, to not let your denial become a habitual sin. And through the power of Jesus Christ, 
you can lay down addictions, you can lay down habitual sins, you can lay down wrong thoughts, wrong words, and wrong actions through the power of Jesus. So Jesus is empowering Peter to basically say, go and feed my lambs. And where does he draw that from? From Jesus. To act like Christ among young believers and non-believers. Then in the second, I love you, when he says, tend my sheep, what that means in that analogy of the shepherding and the, and the sort of the shepherd that takes place here is give grace and justice to Christians. Grace and justice, right? Because when Jesus says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, it's all my, my, my. Everyone in the world is God's. Ain't nobody living outside of that. Some are a part of the family because they're saved. Others are living like they're not, and he wants them in, like orphans. He wants them to come into the family. And we're going to talk more about this justice and what it is to make wrong things right in our next message series. But for now, he's just telling like, look, when you're, when you're amidst other Christians, other believers, even the Jews, and eventually the Gentiles, which we come to see, give them grace and give them justice. Teach them what it is to make wrong things right and teach them what it is to share the truth and love and fill the gaps of grace to other people. And then finally with the last one, he says it this way, um, feed my sheep. So you're like, he's got a couple things for Christian. Keep exampling Christ's likeness to the mature Christians. So now God's covered everybody on the planet through this. And the way that you're going to do it is different than the way that Peter did it. Because your job is different. Your home is different. Your, your life is different because God's infinitely creatable. And let me tell you what, it is going to be hard to live the gospel-centered life. You're going to have to fight and wage war and stand up when no one else does where you work, worship, live, and play for Jesus. And it will be difficult. And look, I love you, but it's going to cost you something. But it is never, never, never going to be what you lose is never going to be greater than God himself. The intimate relationship that you have, the assurance of your faith and salvation that you have, and the fruits, uh, the fruit of the spirit that comes into your life because you're trying to be more like Jesus. So you stand up for him. You fight for him. You love for him. You correct wrong things for him. And how do we know when and where to do that? You let the Holy Spirit lead you, no matter how tough it is. Don't give up. Don't give in. And we just keep doing that over and over. We live the gospel-centered life in every relationship and in every circumstance. You never turn it off. It's always full throttle. And you just go with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. So I would say put yourself in Peter's shoes in John 21. He comes into this example with a huge elephant in the room and Jesus is like, look, let's just have breakfast together. Now don't freak out the next time a person asks you over for breakfast or if I do, once we can actually meet together and go, uh-oh, Nathan's asked me over for breakfast. This could be bad. It's not. He just over a meal says, look, let me help you find out your created purpose. And that's the power of Jesus Christ. He redeems and transforms and takes a guy who was hours earlier wondering and worrying and fishing and just staring out just mindlessly over the sea and snaps him back in and says, you've got a purpose, you've got a mission, and it's greater than anything you've ever lived for. And it will give you more joy and fulfillment in the midst of some of the hardest, difficult, straining, weak, just challenging times of your life. 
This is something, the gospel-centered life, it is the thing worth dying for and living for. Everything pushed in. It's why we spent so much time in this gospel-centered life. To understand it, to know it, and then ultimately to live it. To empower you to go out there and do it. So when we bump into each other at the grocery store, or maybe not bump into right now, but when we see each other at the, at the grocery store from a distance, we can then greet each other. And we can greet others and help them come along too. Now, let me, I want you to look at John chapter 21, 25. I, I think we have to mention this as we close because it's very important. Uh, what, what a great uh, verse it is. You know, what a great verse. Just as we're sort of looking off into the setting sun of this series and this message series and just sort of looking off and then, then, then getting excited about the hope of the new day and the, the purpose of a new day. I mean, you, look, your work, your worship, your home, your community, the things you do for fun that recharge you are going to be so much better when you live the gospel-centered life because you're going to have God there in the midst and you're going to be equipped to handle all the challenges that are there. You're going to get tempted anyways. Life's going to happen anyways. You may live long enough to see another pandemic or where we live here on the coast, another hurricane or some kind of drought. You can just read the Bible and know that stuff's coming. But you're going to be able to launch into that with Jesus Holy Spirit and God leading you into it. Those who people who live the gospel-centered life are following Jesus as he goes. Now look at verse 25. I just, man, you just, you, you've got to see John the Beloved who was at the crucifixion and, and wrote Revelations and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. You know he's just pinning this. I, I kind of feel like a smile on his heart and, and just an uplifted light heart. And it says this. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. And were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself cannot contain the books that would be written. So as you're getting this capstone verse, you've got John reflecting on all the things Jesus did that God didn't have him put into this gospel. But then you have to translate it also to your grace story and love relationship with God. That he is going to do things in and through and around you for his good will, his glory, and his good purpose. That if we all wrote those things down, the world itself, the universe itself could not hold all of them. And that is such an encouragement in the dark valleys of life. And such a thing to celebrate in the high mountaintops and everywhere in between. To just simply know that in this God is going to do so many things that you, sometimes you can make, you just had to be there and you weren't, but you just had to be there. There's so much that God is doing and to come in line with what he is. So I want to remind you of this one thing as we wrap it up here. I want to remind you about the, just the fun, the joy. I don't know, maybe think of me and my little brother and my cousin jumping off the back of the boat or, or even just go right into scriptures of Peter sort of heavy, heavy burdened and throwing himself into the sea with all that he's got. And I would just encourage you, throw yourself into following Jesus. And if things are going great for you, God has blessed you. If things don't seem to be going so great for you, God has blessed you. And just throw yourself into following Jesus. Just get, get together and do it. And don't wait. No more. The whole purpose of this gospel-centered series is to get you to bring God glory and, and help make other disciples. That's why we exist. 
It's why we're here. The how, the method, the who, what, when, where, why, all of those prepositions are going to be filled out by the Holy Spirit leading you. And as you walk intimately and discerningly with him, I can tell you there, there is no greater there's no greater thing you can do in your life in whatever role you have. Blended family, di- divorced, employee, boss, owner, self-employed, married, unmarried, single, I know, kid, teenager. There's no greater joy that is going to come in your life or through your life than that which comes from Jesus. Throw yourself into following Jesus. You will never regret it. And when we're all in heaven, we're going to swap stories and we're going to take time to unpack all the many things that Jesus did because we've got forever to give him glory. And we've got forever to just love on him and say, God, praise you because you did this in 2020. You did this in 2021. You did this in 1985. You did this in 1955. We are going to praise you. And we are going to say, when he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant, it's going to be because we threw ourselves in. So go and throw yourself into following Jesus this day. Let me pray for us. God, it doesn't have to be pretty. We don't have to get perfect tins off the diving board of life to throw ourselves into Jesus. It's just the, it's the beautiful belly flop of going in to your love, purpose, and creativity. And times are hard. Nobody's going to deny that. And it's not always going to be easy for us, but it is always going to be better when we live for and serve for the Lord and others. So God, we pray that you will help us to do that. I pray for everyone listening. I'm going to start first with the people who, who aren't believers. It is our prayers, Christians, all of us together, we pray that you'll be saved. That all the great gifts that God's given you, all the talents that you have, all the skills and abilities that have developed over your life will be put in. That you'll find freedom from sin. Freedom from those things that are just bringing you down and causing you to hurt yourself and others that you love. All the needless suffering that you're going through. We pray that you'll find salvation. That you'll come in and just follow the Savior who loves you and leads you. That you'll be saved by grace. God's grace. It's free. You don't have to work for it. There's nothing you need to do. Just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. God does the work. He does the work. He does the work. So Lord, we pray for them because I know there are people in our lives we know of who aren't safe, family members, coworkers, neighbors. I pray they'll be safe soon and quick. And Lord, for all the Christians, all the Christians watching and listening, we're not going to stand in the boat anymore. We're just not. We're not going to be okay with that. We're not going to be comfortable and content and just ho-humming around anymore. I pray that you'll embolden us and set forward our next step. Show us where to dive in. Show us where to throw ourselves at you. Show us where to just go fully in to your will. That we might live in such a way and burn so brightly that other people catch fire. Not because we're so great, but because God is so awesome and holy and true and Jesus is Lord and Savior, leader of our life and the Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. So God, we pray now for that, for your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love you guys. Have a great and wonderful rest of the day.